0: Hello, and welcome back to Music Therapy and Beyond. This month, for the month of March, we are celebrating music in schools and specifically talking about music therapy in schools. Last week, Elizabeth and Dr. Knight had an amazing conversation about IEP goal writing and the shift in thinking of compliance-based goals moving toward comprehension goals and how to rethink what functional goal writing looks like. Elizabeth also made the connection between goal writing and trauma-informed music therapy. This is a great segue into the conversation I will be having today with Zoe Levine, LPMT, MTBC. I will let her tell you more about who she is and the work she's doing. We talk about community music therapy principles in a school setting, what it means to recognize the intrinsic value of our students in our sessions, and some clinical applications to leveraging IEP goals to work for our students and their passions. I can't wait to bring you this conversation, so let's get to it well Zoe welcome to the show we are so excited to have you today
1: Thanks so much. I'm really excited about it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy that you asked me to be here.
0: Well, I'm happy that you accepted. So just to kind of introduce yourself to our community, um, why don't we start with you sharing some of your background? Like, how did you get into music therapy? What's your clinical background? Basically, how did we get here
1: today? Um, yeah, I mean, that goes pretty far back. Well, I'm Zoe. I'm Zoe Levine. Um, I'm a music therapist and a licensed practitioner in Maryland. Um, My pronouns are she, her, they, them. Um, I am a white enabled Jewish music therapist. Um, I am Appalachian from West Virginia. And I know that all of those things might sound like kind of disconnected, but they're all pretty integral into like how I made my way here and like pretty much everything you're going (laughs) to kind of hear today. Um, My family is super musical. My dad um, kind of came up in the DC rock scene. Um, My mom sings all the time. So musical family, my brother is actually, my brother actually just uh, passed his music therapy boards. um, Just got his first job. So we're like, a music family and that's awesome yeah it's really cool like my community growing up too is was super musical um a really kind of special place so it's just I don't know that's kind of ingrained
0: yeah that's awesome so where
1: did you do your educational work So I, um, it was kind of cool. I was in West Virginia university's first graduating class of music therapists. Um, so me and my friend Patty, who is now a board certified music therapist, still working in West Virginia. Um, we were kind of the first ones out of that program. And, uh, now I'm back at Shenandoah getting my master's. So that's been really cool um but that's kind of my educational background and then I went and did my internship at Annapolis Music Therapy and I have been there ever since so wow i've uh yeah it's really cool i think i'm kind of towards the in my fourth year there end of my fourth year so I've been with them for a while and uh i am now living on the eastern shore working on the eastern shore of maryland Um, And then also seeing some folks in Annapolis. Very cool. Now, if you could just kind of give like a
0: general description of the populations that you work with, the type of programs that you're doing with your current job.
1: Yeah. So um, I. I personally don't usually like contextualize like the work I do in terms of populations, but. I can definitely kind of give some insight into like settings and places um, and kind of some of the lived experience that brings people into community with me. Um, so I was working in the public school system for the first three years of my practice, um, which was a really kind of interesting space, um, all IEP based individual services with like some um grant group work some intergenerational programming in the community um kind of just random other uh programs but most like the bulk of it was in the public schools and then just this last year i started at a um school over on the eastern shore which is a really interesting place it's um it provides Uh, day and residential school services for disabled folks. Um, Just a note, like as we go through this, I personally use um, identity first language versus kind of um, person first language. And I know it's super subjective and I am happy to talk about people however they want to be talked about, but just as the default, that's kind of what I do. Um, But yeah, that's where I am now. I'm at a semi-residential school over on the shore and I still see a couple folks um, individually out of Annapolis and then the rest of my time is working with college undergrads at Shenandoah which is really cool. That's awesome.
0: Wow what a really cool conglomerate of experiences (laughs) that you've got going. That's awesome. So one word um, that I've picked up on that you've used a couple times is community and um, I know that music therapy is like hard to put into a box of like philosophy or like put a label on how we think about what we do but if you could maybe explain your philosophy to how you practice music therapy and like what kind of um is like a driving factor in how you approach your clinical work
1: Yeah. I was actually just talking to um, our intern about this yesterday and the fact that it's like a really hard thing to do, but really important to kind of be able to communicate and at least try to grapple with the words that reflect like what we do in practice. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that a lot of my work is kind of informed by community music therapy ideals. It's also, um, informed by kind of a critical humanist perspective. Um, Natasha Thomas and Susan Hadley have a really awesome um, piece. I believe that's in Perspectives uh, that gives like a really cool rundown of critical humanism. And it's kind of the integration of all these different critical theories um, post kind of post-humanism. But you're right. It is really hard to like, wordify that because there aren't really I feel like people have such different understandings of what each definition is like if you say person-centered people have 18 different ideas of what a person-centered music therapy session looks like right Um, (laughs) so I think that that's really the the challenge I come across and that is like giving these words like critical humanism like I don't know that that necessarily, I mean, it makes it a little easier to contextualize what I'm talking about, but it's, I don't know that it necessarily like says what my practice looks like, which is, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard to do that. It's
0: anytime someone asks me, I have like a generic answer, but I just find myself thinking, I I wish I could just show you, like, can you just like be a fly on the wall and look at what I'm doing? Because- that would speak so much more clearly about my practice than like what I could ever define to you or like use words to try to capture because it's just so vast and beautiful. And that's one of the things that I love about what we get to do. And so um, one thing that I know we had kind of touched on just in our email correspondence was how you are using your philosophy in your school setting and especially being semi-residential. Can you um, share a little bit more about the work that you're doing there and kind of what your goals are with your students and how you're going about that?
1: Absolutely. And I think that, you know, it's a situation that a lot of music therapists who are positioned in um, kind of a similar way that I am find themselves, and that is being really philosophically kind of at odds with the the places we're at, especially you know yeah. institutions, um, and navigating that, and what it looks like to still, you know, make meaning out of being at a place. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, part of that is, you know. Uh, just putting it out there in the beginning that like I know that not all places are for me I know that I am not every settings cup of tea and being okay with like releasing that and um just owning that at the beginning but I've also found you know a lot of meaning kind of being in a space like where I am now um where I can kind of introduce uh maybe a different way of practicing and thinking and relating to people than the folks they're kind of used to. And, you know, I've actually found that people have been really receptive and interested, especially like once they see what I do um, and they see, you know, kind of the joy in in our music spaces. Um, I I actually think that a lot of folks are, more open to ideas than we necessarily give them credit for. And a lot of the times, I mean, you know, there's a very traditional way that working, especially like with disabled folks has been taught in, in schools. And like, if that's the only thing that you've been taught, like it might feel wrong to you and you might just not know that there's like another way of working. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've had some really amazing conversations and experiences, um with folks there and then also just like navigating the the compromise of like you know I I respect that you're with these folks for you know all the other hours of the week and I am with them for 30 minutes like how do we how do we mesh how do we how do we kind of exist in community with each other Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I got away from the question on that one, but.
0: (laughs) Well, that's Um, okay. I mean, you can, I'm, I'm thinking too, like, I mean, one thing that I wanted to ask was because a lot of like educational systems, especially like in special ed, are very, very behavioral based. And so, I mean, you've worked with IEPs, so you know, like a lot of them are very, and that's part of the bigger conversation that we're having this month is very compliance based goal writing, which is just not, um, not always the most productive and not always the most, um, helpful for the people that are, you know, being assigned these goals and tasks. And so, has there has there been any pushback or maybe um like how have you handled, i guess maybe educating those opposing maybe values in this this system that you're trying to work in with these students? How have you been able to educate? I mean, you said they were a lot of the staff are really open to it, which is amazing, um, but I'm just wondering like how have you handled conversations where maybe it's been a little trickier to explain? the yeah. value.
1: I think that a big part of that is like how these goals and objectives come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Um that it's not me sitting in an office figuring out like okay, here are my list of domains and objectives and all of those things that I'm I'm going to bring into this space that I'm a new person in. Um before, I think that goals and objectives have to come out of a relationship. They have to come out of an understanding. I don't think that, you know, um, you can do a a quick musical assessment and then come up with goals and objectives that are meaningful with no input. Mm -hmm. Um, I spent a lot of time, you know, interviewing staff, interviewing students, um, just hanging out in classrooms, being like, all right, what do y'all, what do y'all usually listen to? I mean, And what do y'all do? What are you passionate about? What, what's something that you like, is there anything like you want to learn or is there anything like what, what is meaningful to you? And then taking that. And if you, if you produce goals and objectives that reflect that, I think that people really kind of see more value in that. And I mean, understanding the balance of language where, you know, I, I do have, you know, goals and objectives that I can present to you and they are in, it's written in a way that like reflects that there's intention. Like it's not just, I'm not, not that there's anything wrong with going in and just like winging it, but you know, there's intention put behind what I do. Yeah. Um, and it's reflective of not just like my wants, but the wants of the folks there. so it's it's definitely a communal coming to. um, and because of that, and like, I'll reflect to be like, you know, when we talked about this, like, I heard when you said that the folks in your classroom seem bored with x, y, and z. So if they're bored and you don't know what gets them going, like, let's introduce leisure skills as an objective let's introduce finding out what the music that people are passionate about is like that can be an objective of this space is you know exploring what type of play and what type of leisure is meaningful so that people can integrate that outside of our space so that you know what kind of music your students like so that they know what kind of music they like so they know you know it's it's kind of that reflecting on like i hear what you're giving me i am offering this lens of my understanding and this is kind of the goal that I'm coming to does that make sense to you do you anticipate any issues with that if you do like how can we talk about them now because I value your input that's really cool yeah it was and I mean this is something that's still in process you know like we're revisiting them where I'm realizing that different classrooms need different things than I originally thought um and where it's like a developing process instead of me just being like, "Here are your goals and objectives. you're welcome. I'm a music therapist. Yeah. I know the best. <laughs> like it's It's different yeah. than that. Yeah.: I think that's so interesting,
0: um, because some of the experiences that I've had in um, the classrooms and the schools that I've worked in has been a very different process, and um, one that is not necessarily conducive to that collaboration it's it's maybe more the teachers hand me the goals and objectives yes. and say you have to do this now and it's like what do I do with this
1: yeah and I've, I that was actually one of the things I mean I loved working in the school system but just to be like completely upfront, front one of the reasons I decided to move into another space was even though it was like another kind of behavioral space that I didn't necessarily anticipate being in lockstep with the people there, I knew that at least like I would be writing my own goals and objectives versus Mm. in the public school system. I was given a list of like, here are your goals and objectives that you can pick from. Um, it has to be one of these. And I think that there's a lot of space for, you know, music therapists to advocate for goals and objectives that they think would be felt as more meaningful for the therapy participant. Yeah. But I also know that they're like, by the end of my time in the schools, my practice was a practice of, um, stretching goals and objectives as far as they could go in, you know, yeah, we're working on, let's say adding two-digit numbers but like we're gonna be also including all of these other things because I know that this person also really like loves k-pop and so it's gonna all be embedded in k-pop because that's what they're passionate about and we're not gonna be sitting at a table we're gonna be like putting everything on the floor and moving everything around so it's it's kind of integrating that academic concept or whatever that concept is with my understanding with them, of them with what they've expressed as their desire for the space, either via, you know, spoken language, device, behavior, it's all communication. um, And kind of having that amalgamation to kind of create a space Um, But it's, it's hard sometimes. I mean, there've been, uh, just to be honest, there have been like absolutely behavior goals where I was like, I'm going to be honest. Like, I don't feel comfortable supporting that. I don't think it reflects best practice for me. Like, I don't think like that's going to be a no for me. (laughs) And the cool thing is, you know, after four years, I had a good enough relationship with most of the the teachers I worked with they like kind of knew that that was they knew that that was who I was they knew that that was they knew what I brought to the table and I know what they bring to the table and um I think it's also like understanding what your boundaries are and you know I think that there's this this real push and something I hear all the time is like centering the validity of music therapy and like oh like that acceptance of oh how do you get people to accept you as like a valid related service how do you do that and you know i understand that that's important for like folks to get access if yeah like if we have a seat at the table more people have access to the service but if you're constantly centering that oh well i can support that behavior goal I know I can. And because of that, they're going to see my value and they're going to send, if that is what it's at the center of my practice, then I know that I'm really moving away from my values, from my positionality, from, from honestly what allows me to, to authentically connect with the participants I work with. So it, you know, it's just keeping, it's constantly questioning why I am I'm working on something it's constantly questioning is there a better way and like being comfortable to sometimes say like yeah there's a better way and I don't I don't feel comfortable with that
0: yeah absolutely I think that's a really important component too because I think there is we're often kind of put in a position to just if you want to be here, you have to accept the way that it's always been kind of thing. And so it's like this tricky balance of, well, I need to be here to advocate for these students and to advocate for my profession. And it's a lot of pressure, but we kind of back ourselves into a corner and forget that half of the therapeutic relationship is us and like being yes. authentic to ourselves as a therapist, because if we're not authentic practicing the way that we are then we're not practicing the way that we were supposed to or that we're meant to you know and so we can't like that just is going to hinder the relationship kind of
1: moving forward and i think absolutely i mean it is absolutely all relation relationship based and you know we are you know, there's, I think the way, at least I was initially taught is that, you know, it is completely centered on the other person. It's all about the other person. And I think that you can center, center someone else's voice, their, their personhood, but also still acknowledge that like, you can't take yourself out of the equation. And if it's not, if what's happening really goes against like, what your values are then like it's not going to be an authentic space it's not going to be like it's going to be a lot of work and probably not a lot of those joy moments and I don't I don't know I don't feel like that would be sustainable for me and I don't think that that's something that the people I work with would really get that much out of honestly um so I love that you said that because that's that's huge. It's all about relationships. Yeah. Um, yeah. So
0: putting this idea, I guess, into practice a little bit, I mean, often in the school settings, kind of like we've touched on, there can be a lot of red tape, so to speak, right? There's a lot of documentation and, and things that we have to do and keep track of for their purposes and billing and all the things. So. How are you, um, just as like a practical tip that someone could maybe start to think about implementing in their own work, how do you write some of these goals um, in a way that kind of balances empowering them and also accomplishing what you need to for the technical side of documenting?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a hard question just because so many of the requirements in different spaces are, are, I mean, they vary immensely. I mean, I'm thinking about like my, my goals and objectives at the space I'm at now. And it's, you know, it surrounds leisure skills, um, exercising autonomy, building community, Mm -hmm. um, you know, exploring communication and preferred modalities, all of these different things. Um, and then I'm also thinking back to like just also really strategically picking goals, um, in the public school setting where it was like, you know what, I can envision an experience that I could combine multiple, multiple layers of meaning while also, you know, supporting this academic goal, that's going to make it kind of easier for them to navigate their school life. You know, one thing so- that I'm,
0: Sorry. I was just going to say one thing that I'm thinking about as you're talking and I was thinking about this earlier, too, when you used the K-pop and like counting goal example. I think it's it's such an obvious but easily overlooked mindset switch from from my thinking. It's so easy to get caught up in like putting the goals first, especially when they're Um, compliance-based goals and like really centering everything around the goal instead of embedding it into the music and making the music in their relationship the primary focus of every interaction you know what I mean like it's it's so obvious when you like say it back it's like well yeah I'm a music therapist duh. but it's not always duh because of the way that the system is kind of
1: it's this really you procedural know. way of thinking of like, okay, I see a problem. I'm bringing my music in to fix it versus a relation, a relationship based way of like, this is my understanding of like how it feels to be with this person. Um, This is how it, this is how I understand their passions. And like, this is the music that's coming out of this space. Okay. I can see how I can support this which is meaningful for them because of X, Y, and Z with that, you know, um, someone who just wanna like shout if you're looking for more information on this kind of um like reflection of like work reflecting understanding of people, uh Carrie Devlin, who is just an absolutely brilliant writer, um her Instagram too is just like a wealth of information, it's liberated learning. Um, but I mean, she, she taught me so much about this and it is, it's like, I'm thinking about, you know, just yesterday when I was in sessions, we, oh my goodness, how many different, like we had Eminem, TLC, Professor Longhair, Coldplay, Barney. Santana, (laughs) like all of these, (laughs) all of these different artists. And pretty much every session was informed by like what I know people want to explore. And it, I'm, I'm personally feeling that there's a lot of meaning coming from it. And I've, I've heard from students and staff that they feel like it, there is too, because it's really like taking that time, even just at the beginning of the session, like I don't, a lot of the times I'll bring in some options for experiences and like, I have all of these different materials with me and I have my space set up. So it's like, you know, if someone picks X, Y, Z, I can pull things out and I can look things up easily, but I have like a ton of different cards that just say like dance, listen to music, um, use a parachute, play the drums. Um, Do electronic music and beat building, like all of these different things. And at the beginning of most of my sessions, I just am like, "All right, what are we going to do today? What do you want to do? Do you want to write a song?" And like, people will just go up and we'll build a session plan together and collaborate in that. And when we get this thing, I'm like, "All right, so if we're gonna do a parachute experience, like, what are we gonna listen to? Who has ideas? You know, um, what?" Do you all know, like, what's something that's going on? Oh, you know, Mardi Gras going on. You all have been talking about that in class. That's really cool. Like, what is the music of Mardi Gras? Let's look up a YouTube video and we'll do the experience with that. It's a, I think, personally, like feeling comfortable with a using recorded music, using um, pop music, using apps, using all of these different things that make a wealth of different sounds available to you in a space, um, but also like make that reflexive kind of improvisational space, a, you know, a little more accessible, um, that's been huge for being able to react and incorporate what is relevant in someone's life in that day, instead of, you know, coming in with a tailored session plan of like, okay, we're going to do rhythm sticks first. And it's going to be to this to me playing a live version of Taylor Swift, because like, this is what I've prepared. It's like, okay, you know, yeah. Sometimes I do like prepare a live version of 22, but I'm also going to have the freedom to be like, Oh, that's not what we're driving with today. Like, sure. Let's listen to, I don't know, Dan Zanes, (laughs) um, something else, you know, there it's kind of building that space with the folks we're, we're working with.
0: Absolutely. And this is kind of, um, in my mind, a good segue too into, um, just touching on a little bit of what I believe is the importance of being trauma informed when we're in these spaces with the people all the people that we're working with that includes staff and teachers and any yes. any participant in our space um but i think your responsiveness to your students blends beautifully with that and um and that's something that i i am similarly passionate about is being able to be flexible and whatever they're showing me that they need, or they're telling me that they need, that's what we're going to address first, you know, before any goal, it's the sensory, it's their emotional, you know, all those, those other things that make them who they are and trying to help them meet those needs together. Um, so I guess kind of My question is, how does, how does maybe trauma informed or thinking about, um, their, you know, all of their lived experiences and what you maybe know about or don't know about, how does that play into your sessions and your interactions with
1: them? Absolutely. I mean, there is so much that people, especially like I, I work in a lot of group settings. I mean, I have, I do see people individually, but, you know, I, I do a lot of groups and do I know everything that a person has experienced? Absolutely not. Um, so you're right. That like reflexive piece does go into it, but it's also really, um, doing, doing the work beforehand under like listening to first person, you know, perspectives uh of you know autistic advocates talking about you know what what their experience of trauma in school settings has been like what what does that what is that experience like for them and really like reflecting on and appreciating their contributions to to you know the the knowledge base um and sitting with that ahead of time so that like we are centering critical theories that that do reflect lived experience of trauma especially in the school settings for i mean i i work with a lot of um black students a lot of students of color um and understanding what what role kind of behaviorism might play in their life when they're going out into you know society and the the dangers that they face that are probably different than like our white students you know it's it's having that perspective and taking the space and really reading and learning and committing to to create time and to really sit with perspectives that are outside of your own, um, in advance, because it is, it does come into therapy spaces. There isn't like a neutral therapy space that is all sunshine and rainbows and light. Like that's just not people bring them their whole selves in you bring your whole self in. And if you're not rooted in that, then like we talk all the time about like potential for harm, and mm. you know, I think that that is one of the most relevant examples of potential for harm is you know, are we are we enforcing, you know just as an example, like a s- arbitrary social construct that is completely culturally irrelevant to someone and thus re traumatizing their experience of like having like a really traumatizing experience of acculturation, like what, how do we not just be reflexive to that, but how do we proactively learn? So we are not, I mean, honestly, like there's no way to like never cause harm, but to do your best, to be informed, to do your best to, you know, work in opposition to that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, something that I've been reflecting on a lot too is especially in in school settings there's there's a lot of ableism that has been built into a lot about how we think about and just how
1: that's built into the goal writing is so i, I think society is built on that like it's it's in our school systems are a reflection of our society which you know really puts an emphasis on productivity it's like your value is linked to like can you produce can you create a product can you feed like capitalist systems and thus all of the goals for our students reflect like getting them to a point where they can produce and if that's not like people have innate value and have so much to bring to the world without that, that like if you negate that and you're only centering that ability to produce, that ability to sort colors so that you can get a job one day, then like it's it is absolutely ableist. It's ableist. It's it's honestly like it's just wrong. <laughs> and I mean, it's it's hard. I definitely hear that like when you're in a a classroom where that's like what you're hearing all the time, like. It sometimes feels like it's so pervasive. Like, how can there be change? But I think that that's part of our work is to find those opportunities for shifting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, how might a music therapist, regardless of their um, maybe experience or the kind of work that they're doing in a school setting in particular, um, how might a music therapist listening to this episode go about incorporating some of the
1: ideas that you're operating with in their practice? Absolutely. Um, I would probably say like lean into, like there are ways to lean into an IEP to the student's advantage. Um Like there are sections of an IEP and understanding how they function, like knowing the supplementary aids, the modifications, the supports that that student is by law required to have access to. That is so important. So like, let's say there are frequent movement breaks built into the supplementary aids. And you see folks who are constantly trying to get this person to sit down and quote unquote, attend to a task. Like all the time. I see it all all the the time. time. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like that is such a classic moment. Yeah, Just having that like really centering that, you know, when I'm writing this goal, I'm going to put in my, um, the mediating conditions, like given access to continuous movement opportunities, like we are centering that, that kind of traditional format of like mediating conditions and then the objectives and then the frequency, but like the mediating conditions aren't, you know, given two prompts, it's given what this person actually needs that we see the, what they need, like given access to movement. Given access to um, whatever type of sensory experiences that they need, given access to repetition and interest-based experiences, given access to the things that we actually know work for this person, and then move into like, what is the stuff that you know they're they're probably actually doing? Um, so just really understanding the IEP and understanding that like it has some it it can have some really harmful aspects, but it is also, you know, a real opportunity to say like, Hey, this is something that like the school system came up with. Like, this is a, this is a structure that like you obviously value. So why are we like, this should be available to this person all the time, every day. It's not just in The music therapy space, like, do they have access to this in PE? Do they have access to this in language arts? Do they have, like, understanding and leaning into the parts of the IEP that do feel meaningful for the student? And maybe, too,
0: I'm thinking even maybe redefining, like, if the goal is student will attend to a task, what are all the things that that task can be, and what does it mean to attend to it? Does it have to be sitting at a desk? Can it be walking around the room? Can it be bouncing on a therapy ball? Like, what are all of the different ways that you can show attention in a in a way that is helpful and truly individualized to that student,
1: their capabilities, and their ability to succeed. With what what they already have. Yeah. And what does success look like to that person? Is it, you know, if like, is it, is the task like, you know, delivering papers to every single room in a building without, you know, engaging in X, Y, Z behavior, or is it like, I know this person is absolutely passionate about their dog. Like they are so into their dog. Like is, is what a more meaningful task? Like, can we do all the steps to like feed your dog? like is absolutely. that absolutely yeah and so is that meaningful to you like do you want to feed your dog by yourself like that's kind of cool and I that's mean, like
0: an actual adl like that's a life skill but it's also empowering to them because it's something that they love and they're passionate about and so giving them the tools
1: to like do what they love is amazing people have intrinsic power they have intrinsic worth and, you know, autonomy is a right. It is. I mean, even for children, um, even for like the young children we work with in school settings, like it is, it is a, it's a safety skill. Like at the very, (laughs) if you can't appreciate it for any other reason, it is a safety skill of being able to reject of being able to say no. Um, I mean, it's so much more than that, but I feel like that's a very palatable justification. So, how do you embed that? How do you how do you look for ways that you can shift your practice, shift your space, shift the physical environment instead of trying to change another person who comes to therapy as a whole person, who comes as unbroken as as just a person who's ready to explore and potentially you know grow potentially stay the same for a while potentially like all of those different things are fine but like how how do you shift yourself your practice and your your space to be affirming to their personhood
0: yeah i think in light of whether they are meeting their iep goals or not it's not a matter of they're good because they met their goal today and they were able to sit still or they're bad because they can't sit still you know there's there's very like harsh contrasting sometimes language but also attitude around whether they're succeeding or not whatever that means you know and so i think absolutely having a posture of recognizing and just giving them a safe place to just be who they are in spite of goals or objectives or all those things. And then in that way, empowering them to grow or to just be, that's okay. You know, like, like you said, there is directionality
1: that comes out of it. Sometimes there really is that direction of like, you know, I want to learn how to be an adapted lesson. Like I want, I want to learn how to play this song on piano. Like I want to do that. And, you know, there's going to be structure that comes out of that. There's going to be directionality. And then sometimes there's less of that. And all of those things are, you're right, it's it's important. And someone's availability for learning, someone's availability for expressing their knowledge um, is not, it's not the same thing as whether someone's, you know, learning. It's not the same thing as whether someone is finding meaning from an experience, which you know, it's it's so easy to conflate that. And they're just a, availability for expression and availability for learning in the way that we might expect is just not the same thing as the learning we do as while we move through life.
0: Yeah, could you, and you've given a lot of great examples, but I kind of want as we start to wrap up, I kind of want to leave our listeners with maybe some inspiration on how to kind of get at what you are doing, the work that you're doing. So if possible, could you maybe give an example of, of maybe an intervention or an experience or how you might work
1: on one of your goals? I absolutely can. I do want to like preface that with, I mean, it's not, the way that I value this work, it's not necessarily a procedural moment where it's not like a specific experience. And it's, it's almost definitely not (laughs) an intervention, but it's like, there is, is base work that like has to be done. Um, it's, it's not just a way of shifting, shifting one thing. That's a great start, but like it is, centering the voices of the folks that you're working with. It's centering their experience. It's learning, it's committing to that. Um, and then with that said, I do think the whole having, I'm i am trying to think of like a specific example of just as expansive a way of experiencing something as possible, like just integrating as many choices into an experience. Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't read up on, or like looked at any of the amazing, uh, resources that are out there for AAC where you're integrating, you know, visual supports for things. You have an app on your iPad. If the person doesn't have access to their own yet, um, where you have picture choices and you have like, you're accepting gestures, all of these different things. If you can combine that into one experience, like um, I'm thinking of a person I worked with via telehealth, um, which is really fun. And for every question they answered, we were doing an experience about, I think we were learning about trumpets, um, but also like working on vocab words. So we were like writing story songs about trumpets. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. It was really fun. And for every experience, we would have a jam board up that had. It was like a communication board that had frequently used words on it, but then we would also use the chat and I'd be like, hey, type an H if you want a hint or you can type out your answer or you can speak it to me. Like, and it was all of those things. And I would have the list and I would resend it every single time of like, okay, you can type it. You can click it. You can give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down. You can shake your head. Like there, are these are all of your ways that you can, you can engage in this. And so there was that a, I mean, like there was always that opt out of like, do you even want to, participate in this experience. (laughs) And the answer is no, we do something else. Um, that's like the absolute most basic moment of like, yeah, here's your choice. Yeah. Do you want to, yeah. (laughs) Do you want to do this? And I think that, you know, people get so hung up on like, Oh, people don't want to do what I'm putting out there. And like, that's, that's okay. What are people going to get from something that they like genuinely don't want to do? Like, isn't that people kind of like downplay? the fun aspect and they trivialize the fun and the play aspect of music therapy, but a lot of it is fun. Um, so like just checking in like, do you want to do this? And then having the multimodal options of like using a Jamboard that has all of these different words that have picture supports with the words and then using the chat and then using voice and using all of these different things to then create this Amazing musical story about this person who plays a trumpet. Yeah. That's just like one real life experience of, you know, affirming that all ways of communication are good. Ways of communication that I'm not even picking up on and that I might read as disengaged, still great. You know? Yeah. My ability to understand your communication does not mean like your communication is more or less important. It's still valid. Exactly. It's still valid. It's just on me, whether like I can figure out and obviously like the goal is eventually to get people connected with a form of communication that is both comfortable um, and feels really good and is also accessible by everyone around them so that they can get their needs met. They can express what they want to express whenever they want. Yeah. Um, But it's a process to get yeah. to that point. That's a
0: great way to think about it and to to phrase it too. I like how you said that. That's really good. Well, thank you for sharing that, that inspiration. And I think what you're getting at with the autonomy pieces is, is something that's totally integratable into every interaction and something that is sometimes kind of lost in the it's lost in the sauce. It is, it's lost in the sauce. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's a great thing to end on and and a great way to end. So thank you, Zoe, so much for sharing you and your thoughts and how you do music therapy and how you interact with your people. I just think it's so cool. And I love the work that you're doing. So thank you.
1: It was really cool to connect with you. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much to, you know, the therapy participants I work with who teach me all the time, Um, all of my mentors and teachers, um, because, I mean, I'm just, I'm regurgitating other people's stuff, you know? Aren't we all? Everything from somewhere. (laughs) Exactly. It's all and part of, you know, moving through academia and life is just like connecting, All the pieces and being like, hey, this is where I got this from. So thank you to them.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for this conversation with Zoe. I hope you were able to take away some inspirational nuggets of experience and wisdom and just listening to all different perspectives and thoughts about something that many of us share in common in these educational settings. Next week, Elizabeth is going to be bringing us a mindfulness listening experience that you won't want to miss. We'll see you next time. For show notes and resources in today's episode and all episodes, head to our website, musictherapyandbeyond.com. Reach out to us at musictherapyandbeyond at gmail.com and follow us on social media to stay up to date on all the content and announcements. We'll see you next time.